0: Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things BFR. This podcast is proudly sponsored by sportsrehab.com.au, where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs, or you want more information about the type of training, or you just want more information, this is your one place to go. And I'm your host, Chris Gavillio. Hi everyone and welcome back to BFR Radio. It's great to have you on board. Today, I'm going to delve into how BFR can actually help hamstring size and strength. As we know, when we're looking at a lot of lower body BFR type literature, they focus upon improvements in thigh, cross-sectional area and strength, and which makes you actually think about well, what actually is happening with the hamstring, is there any contribution there and possibly also with the glute muscles. When I think about the response from BFR training, it makes me actually think about the exercise selection, which is really important. They tend to talk about when you're using BFR, the response seems to be more distal and not proximal to where the cuff is. However, when you look at, there's an upper body bench press study where they showed improvements not only in triceps, but also obviously in chest size, but strength. When you look into literature, there's a few papers that highlight the improvements in hamstring and glute size and strength with BFR use on the quads. This one paper by A. Battel is called Skeletal Muscle Size and Circulating IGF-1 are increased after two weeks of twice daily katsu resistance training. So the katsu is the Japanese brand, typically a thin type cuff which is inflated pneumatically with a machine. The preamble that they spoke about was traditional training intensities of over 65% of 1RM are required to achieve substantial muscle hypertrophy. As we know, the advantage of using BFR is that a low load, such as 20% of 1 RM, we're able to get improvements in size and strength. The other advantage is, is that because the mechanical stress is quite low, that it doesn't require long recovery time between the training sessions. Therefore, you're able to do a higher frequency of training with BFR. Therefore, the purpose of this study was to investigate the effects of twice daily sessions of BFR training for two weeks for a total of 24 sessions on skeletal muscle size and circulating insulin-like growth factor one or IGF-1 concentrations. This is a study from Japan where they use 16 healthy men, 172 centimeters high, and a body mass of 64 kilos, which is not the traditional size of athletes that we tend to deal with on a day-to-day basis. The other thing to note here that all the subjects led active lives and none of the subjects have participated in a regular resistance exercise program for at least six months prior to the start of the study. When I start to think about this study and the subjects that they have, it makes me question as to is the responses we're going to see just because they don't train. However, let's read on and see what they actually find. What they did here is they did two weeks of supervised resistance training. So that was conducted twice per day, as I said earlier, morning and afternoon with at least four hours between the sessions for 12 consecutive days. But they had a Sunday off. What they do is they do a warm up and they perform three sets of 15 for a squat. And a leg curl exercise using an isotonic training machine. The intensity of the exercise was 20% of their 1RM from previous testing for both groups. So the control group did 20% of 1RM and the BFR group did the same load, but they had the added pressure of the cuff. It was placed in the most proximal portion of the leg, upper thigh during the exercise session and the pressure started at 160 mils of mercury and was increased 10 mils of mercury each day until the final training pressure of 240 mils was reached. Their testing measures, they looked at their 1RM strength to get their 20% of 1RM. They looked at muscle bone cross-sectional area estimation, body composition and MRI measured cross-sectional area and volume as well as blood sampling and biochemical analysis. What they looked for here was serum IGF-1 concentrations and also plasma activity of creatine phosphokinase, as well as plasma concentrations of lipid peroxide and myoglobin. And these biochemical markers are actually muscle damage markers. Therefore, we can actually see if the type of BFR training stimulus is actually creating any damage to the muscle, which is always a question that we're going to get when we're adding BFR. Does it cause any damage to the muscle? As a side note, it doesn't. Therefore, as we see here, the study's pretty simple. You come in twice a day, it's about 10 minutes long in the session, three sets of 15, squatting, leg curl for your hamstrings, and you just do that for six days, one day off, another six days. The stimulus is really short, and then they just took their pre and their post measures. What they actually found in the study, is when you look at the muscle bone cross-sectional area, it gradually increased in the BFR group, but not in the control. The muscle bone increased 7% at the end of the first week in the BFR group, and by the end of the second week, it increased a total of 9%. The results from the MRI scan show that the mid-thigh muscle cross-sectional area increased a total of 8.5% in the BFR group, but nothing in the control. Delving a little deeper, quadriceps improved 7.7%, and the biceps femoris muscle volume improved 10.1% in the BFR group but only 1.4 and 1.9 respectively in the control group. Glute max muscle volume increased 9.1% in BFR, but no change in control. This shows that if you're using the right type of exercise selection with the additional metabolic stress of a BFR, you can actually get the changes in the muscle. Here, improvements in quads, hamstrings, and also glute max perfect really shows what we're trying to do if we use the right exercise selection. With respect to changes in strength levels, squat strength increased in both groups. However, in the BFR group, it improved 16.8% and in the control group, 8.9%. We'd probably expect to see an improvement in both groups irrespective as they had no great history of training and more specifically, no great resistance training history. What was really interesting here though is is that the leg curl strength increased 22.6% in the BFR group but there was no changes in strength in the hamstrings in the control. With respect to hormonal responses serum IGF-1 increased progressively and reached significance after two weeks of training in the BFR group however no change was seen in the control non-BFR group. This increase in serum IGF-1 sits really well with the traditional mechanisms of improvements in hormonal responses with BFR use. With the increase in these two metabolites in particular, it actually stimulates growth hormone response and the cascading effect from that is that then assists with the release of insulin growth factor 1. With respect to the biochemical markers of muscle damage, there was no change in both groups. Once again, it's a perfect result for those who want to use BFR and are really concerned about any type of muscle damage. It's high frequency. We've added a metabolic stress on a really low mechanical stress and there's no muscle damage markers evident as a result of this type of training. It's great to see that the use of BFR on the thighs can actually show improvements in hamstring and glute max. For those people who need to improve their hamstring strength you now know that if you have the right exercise selection, you're actually going to get a really good response low load. So therefore, if you're coming back from a hamstring injury and it's really important to improve your hamstring strength, that you can use this as a great tool to actually elicit the correct response to improve your strength levels in your hamstrings or in your glutes if that's so needed. And this brings me to another paper which I think is really worthwhile mentioning to you all. And this paper is called Short-Term BFR Training Enhances Hamstring-Quadriceps Force Ratio in Professional Soccer Players. As a bit of a background, the hamstrings-to-quadriceps force ratio, HQ, has been considered a valid and useful index for monitoring muscle balance and consequently to prevent hamstring strain injuries. As I mentioned, the subjects here were professional soccer players. And as you realize in a real world, they have routine training and the ability to provide effective training interventions to improve this HQ ratio without interfering with their routine training is quite difficult. And also, as we said earlier, we tend to look towards high load lifting as the mechanism to improve strength. And this is where, as you can realize the advantage of using BFR low loads, you can use to improve the muscle volume and strength without inducing the muscle damage and therefore not affect their routine training that they may have to perform. What I really like about this paper is they actually examine the effects of BFR training on the muscle size and strength of professional soccer players with a hamstring to quadricep imbalance. Say you've got a professional playing group where there's constraints around their typical training program, but they've actually got an issue which may predispose them to a hamstring strain injury. In the study, after they performed a familiarization session, they performed on an isokinetic dynamometer five maximal concentric actions at 60 degrees per second for the hamstrings and the quadriceps. Also, a 1RM test in a seated knee flexor machine was conducted, as well as they estimated thigh muscle cross-sectional area by MRI. From this, hamstring concentric and quadricep concentric, as well as the HQ ratio, were assessed before and after the training program. Similar to the first study I reviewed, the training consisted of 12 sessions, two times per day of unilateral knee flexion exercise for both legs at 30% of 1RM. The blood flow of the leg with the HQ imbalance was restricted during exercise with 140 mils of mercury. Just as a side note, the cuff width nor the method of calculation of the pressure was noted. They did four sets to failure with 30 seconds rest for the occluded leg. And from this, the number of repetitions for the non-occluded leg was the same performed by the BFR. Therefore, by this, they're actually able to control the total volume Onto the results and the cross-sectional area of the BFR leg increased for the hamstrings by 10.4% but not for the quads. The hamstring concentric strength in the dynamometer increased 7.5% while the quadriceps strength did not change. Therefore, the HQ ratio augmented 8.7%. This is a really great result. So firstly, it shows that the response was directly related to the exercise selection. And from this, using a high training frequency with a low load, that they were actually able to improve their HQ ratio, which is ideal. Because that's something that they really wanted to achieve. Improve that ratio and decrease the potential for hamstring strain injuries. With respect to the non included leg, there was no significant changes across any of the type of measures. This here is a great example of a study where you can use BFR in an applied professional sporting setting with minimal impact to the actual training load or the training frequency that they have to perform outside of their normal strength training. These two papers really highlight that BFR with the right type of exercise selection can be a great addition to your own type of training especially those who may be having hamstring issues and improve the hamstring strength in a timely manner. And that's really important when it's time critical and you really want to get onto your other type of important training. So if you're a sprinter, for example, and you have that critical six-week period where you're trying to rehab, how do you get that hamstring strength and the muscle size improved quickly so that you're actually able to improve your HQ ratio and therefore be at a better position to decrease the potential incidence for hamstring strain? I hope you enjoyed the insight into how BFR can actually help other muscle groups that potentially you weren't aware of. And now we're going to go into how you do BFR. And today on How You Do BFR, I've got Selwyn Griffith from Brisbane Lions. He's an osteopath and rehab coordinator there for the last few years. So welcome aboard, Selwyn. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's a pleasure to uh, be on the podcast. Fantastic. Uh, just as an introduction, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, so I've been at the Lions for the last six years. Started there in a role as part of the medical team and over the last few years have drifted more into the performance department of our high performance department. My current role involves uh, the development and implementation of rehabilitation, reconditioning, and re-strengthening programs, and returning the guys to performance. Prior to that, I worked in private practice as an osteopath on the Gold Coast, and that was where I first met you and was first introduced to BFR training. And was fortunate enough to learn a bit from yourself while you were at the Suns and. And there was a little bit of a collaboration between the QAS and Coin Sports and Rehab and the guys down at Surfing Australia who I did some work at Coin Sports and Rehab at the time and, and we built our relationship from there and the understanding of how to use blood flow restriction training in both athletes and Gen Pop.
0: Yeah. So before we get into the BFR, I find it really interesting that you've had that osteopath background. How do you feel that that's benefited you as a strength and conditioning coach
1: and your role as a rehab specialist? I think probably the biggest thing is just the understanding of tissue healing times and the understanding of certain important stages in uh, tissue rehabilitation so muscles tendons bones all have different healing times and you have to respect the tissue but at the same time I think sometimes in rehab we can get a little bit caught up in being too conservative and focusing too much on what the athlete can't do and I think as an osteopath our our mode of thinking and our our mode of treatment for an athlete or a gen pop client is always getting them to move as comfortably and freely as possible as quickly as possible so while I've probably gone away from using my manual skills as much to get those things such as movement and movement integrity I've probably transferred it into more of the strength and conditioning field which I think the ease of transition uh, from medical to performance really assisted in that
0: yeah it's a really nice combination of being able to bring in another discipline into a traditional S&C background I really think that brings a strength to your own craft Obviously, this uh, segment's about how you do BFR and you've mentioned that you had a, a simple introduction quite some time ago. What I'm really interested in is just about how you use it in your current work environment and just some stories around that, protocols, things that you do that you, you may have read or things that you've evolved in your own use of BFR.
1: Yeah, so I probably have three different uh, athletes that i use bfr with so acute injured athletes so this is predominantly soft tissue athletes load compromised athletes so these might be people with chondral defects or possibly tendon issues chronic tendon issues and then you're immobilized or post-surgical athletes I think there are benefits with BFR for all three of these type of athletes, but you're probably using them for different reasons. So with the acute injured athletes, the reason I'm using BFR is more more so from a hormonal response perspective and, and muscle fiber activation. So I'm really trying to decrease the risk of loss of fascicle length in the early stages of acute injury. So for example, with hamstring injuries, we look to accelerate our rehabilitation program really quickly. We try and get guys running on either day one or day two post a hamstring injury, obviously um, all dependent on how comfortable they feel. But I'll use blood flow restriction on day one post an injury and it might be as simple as just placed on the upper thigh and just getting them to do body weight squats. And we use a single leg hamstring bridge as a bit of a ongoing evaluation tool in the early stage of hamstring rehab just using a visual analog pain scale how does that feel one out of ten two out of ten and so forth and what i've actually found with our athletes is prior to doing the blood flow restriction their bridge pain may be four out of ten they do they do a couple of sets of BFR, just body weight squats. So this protocol I typically do is say three sets of 20 body weight squats and they just rest for 30 seconds between each. And then we'll retest the hamstring bridge and majority of them will report decrease in pain on hamstring bridge post the BFR having not done anything else. Now, in that short amount of time, we've we've not really had any increase in tissue healing, but what we have had is an increase in muscle activation and a decrease in their sensitization to the pain. And with acute rehabilitation, if you can decrease the athlete or the general population's sensitization of the pain, you're probably going to be able to, to get them to do more quicker. And hopefully, that then accelerates their rehabilitation through to or return to play quicker than what you may normally get. And that's what I've tended to see in in predominantly our hamstring athletes. In regards to load-compromised athletes, we've got a couple of guys who have chondral defects in their knees and ankles. And these are guys that may not be able to squat to 90 degree. They may not be able to squat at all depending on what the type of injury is. But we've used the blood flow restriction cuff in body weight exercises for a Bulgarian split squat single leg squats, even some isometric work. So for example, a single leg isometric squat or a single leg mid-thigh pull kind of deadlift setup. And these guys report feeling really strong around the load compromised joint. And for us with those guys, it's about trying to maintain load and decreasing pain as we're in season. So if we're getting them reporting to us that they're feeling more comfortable and more confident in that joint, then it's something that we'll use weekly for them. And we may start with no load initially, but as we go through the season, we tend to find that guys actually enjoy loading it up while they use the cuff. And we'll tend to just do that unilaterally on the the load compromised limb and have had really good benefits with maintaining muscle mass, decreases in swelling post-games and decreases in pain perception or pain sensitization post-games and and post-training tend to use that as also an activation tool prior to them playing or training. So those guys may do just a little activation session within 30 minutes of of going out to training or playing. Most guys have their own individualized pre-activation but similar to before, it's usually a unilateral movement, something that they feel comfortable with where they don't need equipment. So might be as simple as a Bulgarian split squat with their body weight and they do three sets of 15 to 30 depending on if it's pre-training or pre-game or they might just do body weight squats for for three sets of 30 Um, and they report feeling really comfortable and also liking the sensation of increased muscle activation around the joint. The last one is that immobilized or post-surgical athlete so for us, it's, it's really important to try and attenuate that muscle atrophy in post surgical or immobilized athletes. So if we can do that, then similar to the hamstring guys it works into an accelerated rehab program. So they may come out of the moon boot or they might come off crutches and we haven't lost as much limb circumference as maybe we initially had. And I think that probably occurs from more of a systemic hormonal response because for some guys, if they're in a moon boot and and on crutches they're not putting any load through that limb but if you're able to do let's say a uh a leg extension or a leg press on the contralateral limb, maybe even on the limb in the moon boot. Then I think you're getting that localized systemic response in the limb and you're getting a, a systemic hormonal response from the testosterone kind of IGF one responses that we're looking for. And if we can get that in the first four to six weeks when a guy's immobilized, then what happens in the four to six weeks after that come out of a boot is really positive. Definitely in ACL athletes, I've found it to be really beneficial in early stages once they've got their extension and and knee flexion range to just do closed chain exercises with the cuff on. And that might even be, might not even be resistance training initially. That might just be when they've started spinning on the bike and, and just doing low load aerobic exercise. I'd imagine as an athlete as well.
0: Because the sensation when you use a cuff is that you can actually feel something working at little or no load. And therefore, when an athlete trains, they want to feel like something's working. And I know when I've done rehab myself with athletes and they can't feel it working or they can't get the activation, they're almost looking at you and you have to continually sell the rehab program going, I know you can't feel it working, but you need to get the joint moving. Therefore, you know, using classical increased metabolic stress, no mechanical stress. I would assume that you are able to get more of a buy-in from the players that they can feel
1: something working. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I think the most interesting thing with with working with males and uh, highly competitive males is they just want to feel like the exercise is doing something and I think – Blood flow restriction training just gives you that sensation of you get that blood pooling in your upper or lower limb and you just know that there's something working there and I don't get too technical with the guys on, oh, yeah, this is doing this increase in muscle cell signaling and this and that, oh, you're working this fiber. But I just say, well, what the research tells us is that you can work at a lower load and get just as good hypertrophy and strength benefits as these guys that are all lifting 160, 180 kilos on their back squats and know that you'll come back and and be able to do that once you're ready and and capable throughout your rehab and guys just buy in straight away. And then um, if they've got a lower limb injury, I always throw in a sneaky upper body session with it on as well just to make them feel good. But they just understand that, oh, well, if this is something that's going to help long-term and and accelerate um, my rehab in the short term, then yeah, I definitely don't have any guys that don't buy into that process
0: yeah and do you feel that any athlete that may have used this and potentially actually turned their career around or their physical preparation around as a result of using it
1: yeah well those load compromised athletes they're guys that literally they could get the wrong knock or the wrong forced flexion on their I'd say it's a knee where they might not even be able to passively bend their knee past 100 degrees of flexion but if you land and all of a sudden your whole force comes down on your body and and you're forced through 100 degrees of flexion with increased load, there's nothing but the joint is going to get irritated and those are the guys that they might not be able to run two days post, three days post but we're able to get some form of load in them in the gym that makes them feel comfortable again and as I said has decreased their, their pain sensitization and tends to help to decrease their, um, their joint swelling as well so and with all of that stuff we obviously have the ideal protocol that we would like to follow which for a lot of those guys it's some form of unilateral either body weight or external load exercise But if we can't do that, then we're more than happy to go to a bilateral movement and just look to get uh, the same responses just from a a slightly lower load. And that's, I guess, the beauty of BFR is you can manipulate it depending on the athlete's environment, but also your environment. So if you don't have certain equipment around, it's easy to change it to a body weight movement and, and just increase the sets and the reps to accustom what you have available.
0: Yeah. And one thing you mentioned prior, one of the exercises, because I'm fascinated with sets and reps, but also exercise selection. And a few people I've already spoken to, one thing they've mentioned they've had great success with is the use of isometrics. And you mentioned that you do unilateral IMTP, but also a single leg squat. Uh, How do you set up your single leg squat? And you'd like to elaborate any further on the use of isometrics?
1: Yeah, so I'll tend to do them in a standing position with more so kind of almost close to a hip lock position, like a running stance position. So might get them standing on a on a small plate in the barbell rack or in the Smith machine and have the knee slight flexion, maybe five degrees of flexion, and looking to get them in that replicating that running mechanics. So nice hip lock tall position and then we'll we'll use anything between five to ten second isometrics. Small reps, so kind of two to four reps, and just look to do two to four sets depending on who the athlete is and and what sort of load that they can tolerate. The mid thigh stuff or the the isometric deadlift stuff, that depends on once again the athlete and also where maybe they get their joint irritation. What I try and do with a lot of these guys is use the isometrics to get them strong close to the positions of their restriction. So if guys can not bend their knee, let's say past 90 degrees for example, then I'll try and do some form of isometric close to that knee angle to make sure that they have strength at least close to that range because otherwise if you avoid the range the whole time, and then they're put in that position when their mind or their body's not ready for it. You've not prepared the tissue for the possible change that's going to occur. And unfortunately, in AFL and contact sports, you're never 100% prepared for what's going to come. So it's just about preparing the body for something that's unexpected that's the same with let's say a chondral ankle let's say a guy has a needle wall of five and that's as far as he can get then you're looking to stress that ankle joint throughout that range or as close to that end range as possible and you might be doing that with calf work you might be doing it with sled work which is something I've found really useful with guys with the ankle stuff to work through prowler sled marches or prowler Sled accelerations and I'll use the cuffs during those um, movements as well because a lot of the time in some of these we're looking to just give them a certain stimulus I'm also looking for improvements in performance and so if I can get an improvement in strength or improvement in power output then that's something that I'm going to try and do as well.
0: Yeah out of interest I know you use force plates prolifically in your own work have you measured any of your squat stuff or your IMTP and any observations, you know, good limb versus bad limb?
1: Measured uh, mid thigh pull. So we've recorded that. And the, the guys that I'm talking about that are slightly load compromised in their knee, currently they're not presenting in the mid thigh pull with any asymmetry left to right from the force production. That's a bilateral assessment. I, I haven't tested in a unilateral assessment. I would hypothesize that maybe I'd see a greater asymmetry in the unilateral the only reason i say that is because we have done a substantial amount of jump testing and what i've tended to find in those load compromised athletes so these are guys either with tendon issues or chondral defects is in a bilateral jump their asymmetry they've obviously created a move movement signature that allows to kind of hide the asymmetry as soon as you go unilateral the asymmetry blows out so I would hypothesize that if I was to go into a a unilateral iso squat or iso mid-fight pull that I'd probably see a, a variance in their peak force output.
0: Yeah. One athlete has a patella at the moment and so I actually use the single leg squat a lot at the moment and just measuring force and he has no pain in the patella at all and it takes him a little about three or four weeks but it's actually been able to even both out because obviously he's got no pain through the joint or through the patella tendon and therefore he's able to actually train and push as hard as he wants to mm. therefore you know I'm getting a good training outcome as well
1: yeah well so I've used the cuffs in combination with our isometric work for patella tendons in in particular haven't used it as much with Achilles tendons but I think because with the patella tendon stuff, you can either load it up in a Spanish squat or a leg extension isometric. It's quite easy to apply the cuff and and get a really good response. And so, definitely for our patella tendon guys, I've used the cuff as a pain modification prior to training and and prior to playing. and, And they report, you know, so we'll test decline squat prior to them doing their isometric and then post doing the isometric and we'll have guys who report four to five out of ten which is for a patella tendon that's probably a guy that you're questioning whether or not they should be running or or playing at that stage and they'll report a decrease down to two out of ten which is something that we're pretty comfortable with post isometrics and yeah we've definitely used the bfr in combination with that Yeah, Actually,
0: talking about Achilles, of a skeleton athlete I work with and she has an Achilles issue at the moment and just doing calf isometrics, body weight with it on the calf and same sort of thing, decreases pain through the tendon. She has pain relief, can train and so it presents very similar to the patella tendon.
1: And that's it. I think probably with tendon stuff for the lower limb, patella and Achilles, the blood flow restriction is really advantageous when you don't have a gym. Yeah. Because, you you know, yeah, it's great to rely on a leg extension and leg press or a, or a Smith machine and these things to do your loaded tendon work. But if you don't, and you want to put an increased uh, stress on the muscle and the tissue, then the blood flow stuff is great because I think there's a component, the isometrics are, are all well and good for pain modification. But at the end of the day, if you're trying to get an athlete back to peak performance and a decrease in pain, strength and strength endurance in the tendon is what's going to save them and eventually developing their tendon capacity with through strength and strength endurance. So I think blood flow restriction in combination with body weight exercises is really advantageous with that. And that's probably one other area that I've found it really useful is in guys who have been immobilized or say do have tendon issues who have stopped running but we we want to maintain aerobic stress on them. We'll use the occlusion cuffs to do stair walks and ellipticals because we're decreasing the mechanical stress on their tendon, but we're maintaining the metabolic stress on their aerobic output plus it's a low to moderate aerobic exercise definitely Mm. something that i've found beneficial and the guys you know you do 10 minutes of stair walks with an occlusion cuff on and your heart rates through the roof and you're sweating and you know these are guys who can run under 10 minute 3k time trials and a 10 minute stair walk with blood flow restriction is getting them blowing the, uh, the roof off. So it, that's an area that I find really interesting is in low to moderate aerobic stuff and how much stress it actually puts on the metabolic system.
0: But what I think would be interesting for the listeners out there, what kind of kilometers would they average on a training session and also in a game? Just people who don't really understand AFL can truly get an idea of what kind of running load these guys do.
1: Anywhere between 14 and 17 kilometers in a game. And in a normal week, they'd also, they'd do another 10 Ks pretty comfortably. So across a week, you're looking at anywhere between 24 to 28 kilometers in a, in a week, including the game and, and training. And a large component of that is made up also of, of the quality of high-speed running and very high-speed running in a game. Our best runners are running upwards of 2,000 high-speed meters in a game. So that's 18 to 24 kilometers. And then guys are, the same guy would be sprinting 500, 600 plus meters at anything above greater than 24 kilometers an hour. Yeah, they're, they're fair athletes, especially for the, the size of them. We have, you know, some guys who weigh 90 plus kilograms who run 16 kilometers in a game. So you're carrying a significant mass for the the output that you're putting out in a game as well. And also with that,
0: you know, they'll have to accelerate, stop on a dime, you know, use agility skills, but then wrestle. You know, it's a huge body-on-body wrestling component as well.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah
0: I find it a a fascinating sport which really tests the limits I guess human tissue almost
1: yeah it's a highly skillful sport as well because you're doing all this while trying to kick an oval ball and mark an oval ball and you've got 360 degree decision making processes that occur as well so I think that's the thing that makes it so interesting to people who maybe haven't grown up with it because when you watch league union or NFL these are sports that are typically running straight at each other so the variability and decision making while it's still there with AFL it takes it to a whole new level because you can have someone coming from behind to the side doesn't matter and yeah it's definitely a, a highly skillful and a complex sport that's for sure.
0: Yeah. You know, the examples you're given are fantastic, really diverse use of BFR in, in different modalities. And it's really nice to hear that you're drawing on stuff that people read in literature and you're applying it in real life.
1: Yeah, I think the important thing with when you're working with elite athletes is you really have to assess that risk versus reward. So you really do have to take a low risk approach to strengthen power training. And as I said before, I'll always try and get a performance improvement out of our athletes, but at the same time, their role is to play football on a on a weekend, yep. and that's what they're getting paid to do. They're not getting paid to be a two times body weight squatter or a three times body weight deadlifter. They're getting paid to kick a ball through the goal. So you've got to be able to identify what it is that you're actually trying to get out of the athlete to make sure that they stay on the field. And, and I think. That's where BFR becomes a really valuable tool for guys who have been load compromised throughout the season or carry a, a niggle throughout the season because there are guys who, are, who get pretty banged up earlier in the year and they may not ever miss games, but you're having to modify them each week on what you're able to expose them to and there comes a point where you can't just stop loading them. So how do you continue to load them so that they're continuing to gain strength and maintain lean muscle mass while not compromising what they've got to do out on the training field? That's beautiful. It's just a, it's the reality, the reality of
0: professional sport. It's fantastic. So yeah. thank, thank you very much for highlighting how you use BFR. It's really insightful what you do in a professional sporting club and great to hear so just in closing, an opportunity for you to talk about anything you're presently doing. I know the season's just finished for you.
1: Yeah, no, well, mate, thanks very much for having me on. I think uh, I've learned a lot from you about not only blood flow restriction training, but just strength and power training in general um, over the years. So I feel very honored to be asked on. But yeah, for me, season's just finished planning next year for the Lions, which uh, we're in a really exciting position at the moment. We had a a really solid year while probably not getting as many wins as we would have liked. Yeah, I've got a few seminars that will probably pop up over the next few months, uh, a little bit around the accelerated hamstring rehabilitation process that that we do at the Lions and that uh, we've implemented over the last few years. We've been really um, fortunate to have some really good success with that program and minimal re-injuries and then looking to uh, work in with some uh, some other workshops around Brisbane as well over the next 12 months. I'll keep you updated about that because I'm sure I'll tap you on the shoulder for your advice and guidance but yeah. uh, if people want to get in contact, I'm on Twitter uh, at Selwyn Osteo. Instagram is uh, selwyn.g. I probably don't put as much on either format at the moment, but there is a, a little bit of stuff on there from some previous rehab programs and uh, some of my training philosophies. Perfect. And what I'll do is I'll also make sure that goes onto the website with
0: your, your Twitter and Instagram. And when it gets closer to your seminars as well, I'll put a little shout out on the podcast. And, and get your name out there a bit more and see if I can drum up some
1: business for you. Sounds great, man. I appreciate
0: that. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time and enjoy the off-season and, and all the best for the upcoming season. And I'm sure that the listeners would really agree with me there that fantastic. I, I just really love sitting back, listening to what you're doing and seeing what I read in these papers and someone
1: actually living it. It's fantastic. Well done. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: And that's all today for this episode of BFR Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to take part in the podcast, please contact me through my website or on social media channels at Chris Cavilio. For more information and to order a set of your own BFR cuffs, please visit my website at sportsrehab.com.au. Thanks for listening and keep the pump.